Hey, turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. This is where we're going to start. I want everybody to turn into the Bible. Turn into your Bible. You got one in front of you. Okay, grab one there in front of you. Uh, this is always our, our discipline, the Word of God, not my words, but the Word of God. If you ever hear me say something that doesn't line up with Scripture, you need to question that. You need to challenge me on it. So open the Bible. I want us to practice. Now, you can say I'm old school. I mean, I've got iPads and computers and whatever else. I'm using the Read Scripture app to read through Scripture, but I'm reading the Bible from my leather-bound, beautiful Bible, all right? Read the Bible. We want to be in the Bible. It's amazing to me. Now, this is kind of embarrassing. If you're here, you're a guest. Maybe you're not a Christian. You're here. You've come to the right place, by the way. You're going to hear a lot today that's going to help you at least understand more of what it means to follow Jesus, what we're all about. But it, it's kind of crazy that as Christians, we claim to base our lives on, yes, Christ, but we base our lives so much on a book, on the Bible. And many of us, don't read it. That's, that's a crazy thought. That we claim that we base our lives on God's Word, the Bible, and we do not read the Bible. And so we're challenging everybody through this year. You can still join us. I don't know why, if you're a believer, if you're a member of this church, that you would not join us to read through the Bible this year. And so you can see information there. In your bulletin, you can still catch up about 15, 20 minutes a day if you do it right, I think. You can catch up this week. We're already on into Genesis, and I hope that every one of you will lead the way. Connect group leaders are leading the way. Deacons, leaders are leading the way. Our choir, our worship leaders are leading the way by reading Scripture together. Now, admittedly, when you jump into the Bible, and uh, last week we started in Genesis 1, we're going to see here being Genesis 3 today. In fact, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis 3. Admittedly, you enter into the Bible and lots of questions arise, right? Uh, you know, uh, are, wait, is this was it seven days? Really? Did he create the world in seven days? We, we looked at that last week a little bit. Were they, were they, the first, there were two people that started this whole thing. Did they have belly buttons? Did they not? Uh, a serpent speaking, really? Did a snake really talk? I mean, immediately you enter into this and you, all these questions. We noted last week, it's, in, it, it's important to know. When you look at Genesis, and so much of the Bible, but especially the creation narrative and what we'll be looking at today, um, it's not so much explaining how things happen. It is that. It's explaining why. Okay? So faith always precedes reason but it goes beyond reason and, and here's my point we, we get into questions like were, wait were they individuals or are they representative is this a, a, a real thing or person or is it metaphorical to share something bigger and larger yes yes and yes because the Bible is 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 explaining to us why things are the way they are at the end of the day I'd say it this way simply it's true. And I think with all the questions you may have, and we've got lots of us, I think in varying degrees, skeptics along the way, whatever questions we have, I think it's going to resonate with you. If you listen with your heart, the Spirit of God speaking to you, you're open with faith, you're going to, it's going to resonate with you today. This is true. What we're talking about is true. So I want to pause for a moment and just ask you this question. Do you ever struggle with things 
that you know you ought to do or want to do, but your willpower just will not allow you to do it. Anybody? I mean, if we, I mean it's something as simple as if we decided we're going to diet, you know, we're going to eat properly, resolutions, we're exercising now. Most of us are, are trying to do better. We decided uh, on certain goals and such. We all wrestle with this, right? It, I mean, for me, it's as simple as I, I have discovered recently um, some low-cal ice cream, okay? And it says like 320 calories, you know, in, in a little, little thing. And you, you, but you look at it more carefully and you realize that it's about 100 and, you know, 10 calories or something. So that means you eat about a third of of the actual small little container, right? So I'm sitting there, and of course I'm thinking, yeah, I probably probably ought to stop. I mean, there's not a lot of calories, but I'm going to end this and take... I get down, you know, a good two-thirds of the way down, and I think, well, there's only like a third left. And... (laughs) And if, I, and, and if I get up, I mean, I'm not going to get up. I'm, I'm watching TV. I'm doing something else. I've got to get up and take it back to the freezer. That's kind of silly. And, and, oh, wow, there's the bottom of the container. Look at that. <laughs> I'm going to finish this out. And, and so, you know, I want to stop. I mean, that's silly, but there's so many others in my life. I want to stop. I don't want to do this. And yet I find myself doing what I don't want to do. Anybody resonate with this? The Bible tells us, now, that's kind of a wacky illustration, but, but the Bible tells us why. It tells us why things are the way they are. Today, we're going we're gonna to see, are we going to really believe that God's Word is true, or are we going to run after our own uh, devices, our own definition of what is true and what is not true? Surely you've heard the phrase, to thine own self be true, right? Who wrote that? Anybody? Shakespeare, all right, for all of you... English lit kind of nerds who from what where was it found where is it found anybody know Hamlet thank you Hamlet wow I was about to ask for extra credit okay <laughs> who said it it was Polonius right Polonius by the way is the foolish advisor to the king so think about this I'm setting this whole passage up okay hang with me The fool says, to thine own self be true. And in Elizabethan English, this really meant do what is in your own best interest. Do what's right for you. We would say be true to your heart. Follow your heart, right? Or in the 2019 vernacular of our day, you do you. I'll do me. You do you. You be you, I'll be me. In fact, Sarah Knight, New York Times bestselling author, wrote a book called You Do You. And watch this, subtitle. How to be who you are and use what you've got to get what you want. It's a great sub. That'll sell right there. You do you. And and, and here's, listen, this is how we have redefined the gospel in the modern West. The UK, in Europe, Australia, North America, we've, I suppose, Africa. We have redefined the gospel. You do you, and watch this. The pathway is freedom. So any restraints that come upon you have got to go. Any authority or external forces that are telling you what to do has now become, watch why we flip this, is now not only wrong, it's evil. It's not good because the driving gospel, the air we breathe, 
is you do you and anybody that tells you otherwise. You've got to, you've got to remove them from your life. Now watch this. With this, our cultural backdrop, we enter into the ancient story of Genesis 3. We left Adam and Eve in chapter 2, and they were, look at that. You were all looking at God's word now. They were naked and unashamed. They were not ashamed. And now we enter into Genesis chapter 3. Now, I'm not going to have time to read this whole text. I'm assuming uh, that many of us, most of us have read this before. I'm assuming you have the Bible in front of you because you're going to be looking to say, wait, wait, I want to look at that verse he's talking about. I've got to go further here. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but we're going to cover the whole chapter, okay? Starting with verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, let me pause there for a minute. Nowhere in this passage, interestingly, I've been approaching uh, the, the reading of Genesis and the Bible as if for the first time. Now, we all bring suppositions, presuppositions to it. I can't, I can't do that, really. But in, in so doing, I discover that throughout this whole chapter, nowhere is Ha-Satan, the, the accuser, uh, the liar is really his, his, his name. Uh, he's not mentioned. It's a serpent. So first reading, you're going, well, the, the serpent shows up. He's more crafty than all the other beasts of the field. But we know this is Satan. It's the devil because we see that in other parts of Scripture. Even Jesus points to this as, um, as being the devil. Uh, Revelation 12, verse 9, 20, verse 2, we see it's pointing to this dragon who is the serpent, who is the one at the very beginning. He's the devil. So it doesn't say so, but throughout, you know, you interpret Scripture with Scripture. But if you're just reading the story, you start to realize that it starts to unfold as we go. So the serpent is crafty. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent goes on to say, surely you will not die. Now here's what I want you to see. As we look at Genesis 3, I want you to see uh, four things today. If you're taking notes, Real simply, the outline is this, the strategy. I'm going to spend more time on that. So the first one, the response, the consequences, and then the provision. All right, so first, the strategy. I want you to see that Satan's strategy, this is so important for us to understand. Satan is, is leading a disinformation campaign. This is what he's doing. He lies. He comes not with a stick, not with a gun, not with a sword, planes, and tanks. He comes with an idea. He still comes to us with an idea. Here's what I want us to see, what I was saying earlier. This is why the world is the way it is. It's, this is the story we find ourselves in today. So I'm, I'm, I'm believing that you're listening, proactive listening, applying God's word to your life, not simply listening to me. This is critical to understand. He plants a lie. In our minds. Think about this. The opposite of a lie is, of course, truth. But truth is reality. Truth is what is real. So Satan wants to distort reality. Notice he comes and he says, uh, listen, um, really. In fact, in, in the Hebrew, the first word is really. Elohim said this. 
Do you really believe this? He starts with an idea. Dallas Willard wrote this. He said, there is no avoiding the fact that we live in a uh, at the mercy of our ideas. This is never more true than with our ideas about God. Evil starts with a lie. It's A.W. Tozer's often quoted, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. Satan attacks the mind, and he's in essence what we'll see. He's causing Eve in the end. He's going to cause us to question God's love for us. Does he really want what's best for you? Does he really love you? Now, let me step away in a quick history here. Augustine, or Augustine, was the dominant theologian. He's a North African theologian um, in the first thousand years of the church, and he taught us what the Scripture teach. That is, we were created in God's image, and so we uh, are to love him above all else. Augustine said that, that, love, that sin is actually disordered love, okay? Disordered love. We love God first. He's the one that said we'll never find peace in life apart from God. We must come to him. We'll never find peace until we find it in him. And he said that the moral life then is based on this reality. First, that we're created in the image of God. He knows what's best. We follow after him. So primarily you're thinking what the Bible says and ultimately the way of Jesus. So mastery of self, here's my point, in the post-Augustine modern West even for a thousand years and on up till now, what we see is the mastery of self then is based on ultimately loving God first and then aligning our desires according to what God says, okay? So Paul tells us the language of the first apprentices of Jesus uh, and Jesus himself, Paul says in Romans 7, there's a civil war going on inside of you. Anybody? There's this war inside of you. So the old image of a demon on one shoulder, a little angel on the other speaking into our minds, that's a really rather appropriate image, though silly and cartoons and whatnot. We're hearing from different voices. He says there's a war going on, and it's a central doctrine for the believer that once you receive Christ, you receive the power of the Spirit that then gives you power to overcome the voices of the evil one. But it's God's Word that brings truth against his lies. This is why you must know God's truth, why we must be reading his Word. So, Augustine, for a thousand years, now, enter Watch this. Later on, big leap in history, Sigmund Freud, late 1800s, mid-1800s, late 1800s, under the influence of Darwinian atheistic evolution, okay, would teach this. We're not created in the image of God. There is no God. He's not even in the mix. So if we're not created in God's image, you're just a conglomeration of molecules, then uh, there's no transcendent. Uh, truth. There's no ultimate authority outside of us. No right or wrong based on something that would come from the outside. So you determine yourself. And he says that when you, when you look at your own desires that drive everything you do, right, the decisions you make, he would say everything that's driven in your life is primarily what he called libido. Now that's Latin for desires. He said, of course, that sexual desire was the driving desire. Others have expanded that to say what's our primal desires for pleasure, for happiness, survival of the fittest, whatever's going to make you feel good. So watch this. Ultimately, our desires 
are going to guide us towards whatever makes us happy. Whatever makes me happy, that's where I'm going to run. In fact, Freud went so far as to say the suppression of desire is the cause of all neuroses, all, all mental challenges that lead primarily to anxiety and all those things. He says, do not suppress your desires. You be you, do you, do that. Whatever makes you happy, you run after that. Now, now Augustine, Scripture, Freud, modern, common Dallasite. Think about what a radical shift that is. Satan has sifted us like wheat. And he owns the minds of so many people who've turned away from his word. This has become normalized in our culture. You do you. And any authority outside of you that would tell you what to do, what not to do, what gender you are, what you're not, how you're going to live your life, what things you desire for yourself... Anything outside of you is oppressive, repressive, follow your heart. You do you. The guiding gospel of our day. And watch this. Before we start throwing rocks at everybody, all these other non-Christian people, that's what's wrong. When I, listen, sin or sin because that's your job description. And we do as well. We're not sinners. If you've received Christ, you're a saint. You've been covered by him. We have the power uh, to overcome these sinful desires. But look at, back to Genesis 3. Satan's his go-to strategy. Deceitful, here it is. We're going to see this played out. Deceitful desires uh, or de deceitful ideas that play into disordered desires that are then normalized in a sinful society. This is why the world is the way it is. The biblical narrative and vision of the world explains why the world is the way it is. So look at, look at again, verse 1, the second part there. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? Eve repeats the commands, but not accurately. Begs the question, did she not know? Did Adam not tell her? Uh, properly where is he is he there we just don't hear him talking at all some have challenged uh, this to say maybe the first failure was male passivity not leading his wife as he should everybody wants to blame Eve right maybe it and surely Adam is to blame as much or more so either way Satan's first step in the strategy I hope I've been clear he wants you to believe a lie, and he's lying to you right now. And throughout the week is why you must know God's word. You must be in it. It's why I'm leading us as a church family, spirit and the word, prayer and the Bible. This is our focus throughout the year. It's always our focus. But please bring your attention to God's word. Jump in with us and be a part of what we're doing. You know, I, I would say it this way. I mean, all of Scripture points to Jesus. In every sermon we ever preach, and it'll happen today, it all points to Christ. You're going to see it throughout our reading of Scripture. I believe in the Bible um, because Jesus believed in the Bible. Now, I could argue I believe in, 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 in Jesus because of the Bible, yes, but I believe in the Bible because Jesus believed in the Bible, and Jesus believed in Satan. 
In fact, in a conversation with the Pharisees in John 8, you can see it on the screen there. There's a lot that leads up to this, but then he finally gets to the point. And how bold is this? Speaking to those who knew the Bible better than anyone in culture. So this should cause us to tremble. But he says, you are of your father. These are the Pharisees. The devil. He just outright says it. And your will is to do your father's desires. There's that word. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Another translation, he speaks his own native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. Did God really say that I'm to love others as he loves me? Did God really say that I am to forgive over and over and over? God, you don't know what they, oh wait, you do know. I mean, this person is really difficult. I think, did he really say that I am to pray consistently, constantly? Really? Did he really say that uh, we're not to have sex before marriage? Really? Really? Did he really say that we're to give in a way that would, that would advance the kingdom of God? That we're to release what we have and to give through the church? Does the word re really, are we really to confess our sins to one another? That gets a little sketchy and gosh, it's humiliating, really. Really, did he say that? Did he really say that we're to covenant together as God's people and live in the church, be committed to the word of God? Really, this is what we do. God's been clear. But look at this, Eve is isolated. This is part of her problem. She's not clear about what God has said. She doesn't know his word because we must do this together. Friends, this is why the church is so important. And more and more as the days move on in our culture today. So Genesis 3, 4, look at this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. Now it's not subtle, it's blatant lie. But watch what, watch what he does. He focuses with all that God's given them, all the trees, all the fruit of the garden, all the good things he's given us, and he focuses on the one thing he says not to do. And I mean, we're reading the story, and we're kind of thinking, because we know our own hearts, right? The moment he says, don't eat from this one, the first reading, we're going, uh-oh, it's probably going to happen. They're probably going to eat from that one. That's the one they're going to go to. Why? Because it's challenging our freedom. And we want to be free. It's our sinful bent. We don't want others telling us what's right or wrong for us. We will determine who we are and who we want to be. I will do me. You do you. Genesis 3 explains that this is a terrible way to live. Many of you know the story, how this goes, right? But this addition of taking away and adding to is something that we all do. We end up with a Frankenstein faith. And in places like Africa, uh, the Caribbean, where, gosh, South America, we, we, we see it in places around the world where we see this, this syncretism, it's called. It's a combination of maybe Christianity and something else. It's, it's in, in the islands, it's, it's Catholicism and voodoo. Right? It's Christianity and a native spiritualism. I've seen it. 
I've seen people who I believe, and I've seen it a lot, and, and when I've gone to Africa, places that are much more open, I think the spiritual things, there's a spiritual realm, and, and, and I have seen those who I believe are possessed by demons. I've certainly seen oppression of, of the work, of satanic work of demons in people's lives. And we say, wow, that's really crazy. Those people are what? We do the same. We're just more, we think we're more sophisticated. It's Christianity plus uh, my race. Christianity plus my own thoughts about uh, the Bible and things I've learned from the past, perhaps. It's Christianity plus a straight-line political view or stance. It's, it's Christianity plus my gender, my denomination, my something. It's Jesus plus something. And we, we have this mixture of what is true and not true. It's why we avoid certain things in Scripture. We, too, say, I, I don't know about that part, but I love this, but the Jesus, man, he loves people. I love that part. Care for the poor. Really? Pause and stop those who are in need. Love those. Reach out to those who are not like me. Really? How do you do that, friend? How are you mixing, matching, adding to your own faith? Verse 5, you will be like God. Now he comes to the greatest temptation of all. And we see the anatomy then of temptation, you could say. It says she saw it. Okay, verse 5 and 6. She looked, delighted in, desired, and took it. That's another sermon. Someone said they, they looked, they got hooked, and were cooked. Okay, that's just how that goes. Okay. But we do the same, right? We, we seek an ethical autonomy apart from God. We will determine for ourselves. So that's the strategy. I told you to spend a lot of time there. Secondly, look at this, the response. Watch the response, verse 7. Then the eyes of both, they took the fruit and ate, eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They're exposed, and watch this, they immediately start to cover up. And hey, watch this, they cover up with created things. They hide behind created things. What's going on here? They're hiding from God, they think. They want to hide from, but they're hiding from each other. And as best I can tell here, they're, they're hiding. They're hiding their privates, but they didn't sin. They wasn't sexual sin. They're hiding their differences. They're seeking to isolate. We do the same. How do you cover up? We pretend. We lie. We put forward a face that is not the truth. We blame shift. We, 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 you know what? Here, and today, many of us, and a younger crowd in particular, social media has become the digital fig leaf. I'll hide behind a picture of myself I want you to see that I'm okay. And we all do this. We've done it today. We enter into a room. We, 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 and how about this? Some of us don't show up because we, we are tired of presenting a false self wherever showing up might be. We isolate ourselves. And isolation leads to all kinds of trouble. We've talked about through Christmas. It leads to, you know, it's, it's symptomatic, but it's, it's also uh, the result of, it, it leads to depression and anxiety, paranoia. But it leads also, isolation leads to a lack of empathy. If I don't know you, I don't have to care for you. It leads to objectification. If I don't know you, you're just an object. I don't have to love you if I don't know you. You're not really a person. That's where the mind goes. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, hide your junk. 
It says, bring it forth. Yes, in accountable relationships with people that you can trust, but we hide, and I've said it before, certain things grow in the dark, friends. Fungus grows in the dark. I guess moss grows in the dark. Mushrooms grow. Sin grows in the dark. You bring it in the light, sin cannot flourish. Sin dies in the dark. So God says, watch this, watch his response, verse 8. God's response, we're hiding, we're running, we're blame shifting. He pursues us with three questions. Look at them here. Where are you? He's asking you that question, where are you? Why don't you come to me? Why don't you read my word? Are you afraid? Why are you? And his first response, we were afraid. And we ran. He's ashamed. Okay, so we know that fear, perfect love, cast out fear. Where are you? The next question, who have you been listening to? Verse 11, here's, who told you? He's saying, who, have, who are you listening to apart from me? God knows all the answers to these questions, by the way. Who are you listening to? We'll get back to that. What have you done? Verse 11. Have you eaten what I, and look at this, he's very clear, explicit. What I commanded you not to eat. Are you, are you serious? Now, he doesn't say that. It's interesting to me that his, his first questions aren't, are you crazy? What the heck is wrong with you? He doesn't do that. He wants us to come before him, a loving God, confessing our sin before him. And then we see the consequence. I'll get back to those questions as we close. Verse 14 through 19, the snake, the woman, the man, all creation is impacted by their rebellion. The snake will crawl on the ground on his belly. The woman will experience pain in childbirth, child rearing, or child, child, yeah, child rearing, yes, as well. That, that's, no, I added that part to the scripture. Um, childbearing and for the man yeah it's true um he's gonna his work will become a burden but notice god curses the serpent and this again we don't have time to read all of this trusting that you are a will verse 14 but he doesn't curse adam and eve he curses the ground the serpent and then no small thing death enters into creation Verse 19, Adam will return back to the ground from which he came. Sin leads to death. This is true in our lives. Sin always leads to death, not life. Friends, this is why things are the way they are. Don't you resonate with it? This is true. And so... We see what's happening. Galatians 6, Paul explains other places in Scripture elsewhere this struggle we find ourselves in. We don't have time to go here, but there are three enemies of the soul. The tension you feel and will this week, will today. The devil, here's the language of, of the early disciples. Paul, Jesus taught us this, all right? The devil, the flesh, and the world. These are the lies, the things that are coming against you, kind of a triad, an axis of, of evil that's at work against you, a symbiotic uh, axis of evil. And it's coming after you. And, and you know this is true. The Bible explains why things are the way they are. We have the devil, okay, so the deceptive ideas that lead to disordered desires, the flesh. And then we have the world. This is where sin becomes normalized in a society. 
And it has happened in our nation. But watch this as we close. Jesus doesn't leave us. God doesn't leave us alone. I want you to see the provision. The provision as we close our time together. Praise God there is provision even here. The scriptures point to it. Look at verse 20. 20 and 21 says this. The man called his wife, his wife's name Eve, which means life, because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now look at this. Earlier they made their own covering. They were running from God. And now God comes. He pursues them. And through the questions he asked them, he then provides for them a covering. Now watch this. The covering would be provided because of a sacrifice of some animal given its life so that they would be covered. I want to ask you the questions that God is asking us today through Scripture. Who have you been listening to? Who are you listening to? Well, Jeff, I'm listening to God. Are you in his word? If not, you're not listening to him. Are you praying? Listening to him? Are you in, are you in, the, are you in the word? Are you in a, in, a, in a Bible study group, a connect group here at the church? Are you a member of the church? Are you committed to being here to hear this kind of word? The truth with all the lies you've been hearing all week long. Who are you listening to? I got some good friends. Uh, all right. And praise God for godly friends. You may, your spouse, your spouse may be awesome, not God. Listen to God. Have you eaten? What sins do you need to bring before him to confess to him? And then a strange battle to come, a mysterious glimmer of hope. Look at, look at uh, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you, serpent, Satan, and the woman... And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall, he, okay, now, so there's this offspring, which literally means seed, by the way, the word is seed. He, now, the seed becomes a he, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You, you, you have this picture of a, of a snake. You never step on a snake without the snake coming at you. So this seed, this offspring is going to come. Because what we need here, you see it, do you not? We need a new human. Adam has failed us. We looked last week at the fact, the writer of Hebrews said, the new Adam has come. We need a new man. We need new humanity. We need a new people. We need a new creation. This is exactly where the Bible story is running. Where this narrative is running, have you eaten we have eaten. We need a new human. We have fallen. The seed, you tell me, who is this to come? Who is it? It's, we don't know yet. <laughs> we know, yes, we know yet. The seed, the offspring. I want you to see a, a painting that illustrates the connection between creation and then Christ's coming. Now, this is a rather kind of Catholic image. It's Mary consoling Eve. We know that Mary's not the one crushing the serpent. But I love this picture because it connects the two, the one who gave life to the first Adam who would sin. We all follow course. Christ comes, the perfect Adam, the new man, to bring about a new people 
transformed by his love. And then we enter into Matthew where we see a genealogy from Adam to Abraham. We see it through David. Jesus is born. He's tempted, not in the garden, but out in the wilderness. And Satan says, does God really love you? Does the Father really want best for you? Take the food, take the food, take the power, take the praise. Jesus offers, uh, overcomes temptation where we could not, and the central message that he brings is the kingdom of God, a new creation, a new people. And he's going to do this through the salvation that comes in Christ. He overcomes evil in the garden, and he's taken upon a cross so that we would believe, not work towards, not be good enough, not simply follow his commands, but simply believe because he obeyed the Father perfectly on our behalf, becomes our substitute, and we're still trying to cover ourselves. And friend, if you're here today and you've not received Christ, I want you to hear this. Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says this, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. What God requires, Christ provides. What God demands, Christ supplies. What he demanded of Adam and Eve, what he demands of us, Christ has been our substitute so that when we receive him by faith, we receive his grace. He was taken upon the cross for you. He died Adam's death, our death, yours and mine. He was the one who was stripped naked. He took on our shame. He was banished from the garden. He was abandoned on the cross. He would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he would be raised again to conquer death and hell so that we could follow him with salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is true. And truth demands a response. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. And we praise you for your grace. Friend, right now, where you are, how will you respond? What will you do? Think about that. What will you do? If you've not received Christ, you have questions around your own salvation, you can be saved today. Say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe, I receive your forgiveness as my own and I seek to walk in your ways and believer if you're a believer are are you a member of a church our church will you enter in today will you be baptized and proclaim your faith will you read the scriptures will you commit anew to be in the word to know the truth what is he telling you to do now do it Lord, we give you our lives. And this week, we will not follow the gospel of the world that says you do you. We will follow you. You tell us what to do. And we will obey. 
In your name we pray. Amen.